Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. And if you look vulnerable, that's something that the law firm is going to zero in and use as a reason for not hiring that attorney. Any sort of vulnerability is met harshly. And people most often define their lives by the quality of their connections. Well, a lot of times I was talking to an attorney the other day and they graduated from law school in 1993 or something. And for the last, I don't know, maybe 30 years, they've had one job after another. Every one to two years, like clockwork, this person moves. And obviously, if you're a law firm and you see this, you're going to think, wow, what's, why is this person moving all the time? And, they're, and they've actually, even though they're moving all the time, they've been able to get positions in some large law firms. But a lot of times, the law firms will give them titles like counsel, and then you probe and you find out they're being paid hourly or they'll even give them a job called staff attorney. So what I did is I talked to this attorney and like I talked to a lot of them and I said, you'd basically need one heading that says between 1993 and 2002, I've worked at a variety of law firms, including this and this and become an expert in this branch of law. And that actually is a way to eliminate that weakness without having to discuss 15 or 16 different jobs or 20. And that's a way to eliminate weakness. So you need to always look at your resume for the perspective of, does it show any weakness? Showing weakness is a lot of jobs. Uh, showing weakness is jobs in other practice settings. Showing weakness is having jobs for a very short time. Showing weakness can be a lot of different things. And, and if you do that, it's going to hurt you and you need to be very careful. And this is a, a, an example I gave you earlier about the attorney that couldn't get a job that, you know, this interview where they found out you just have to really think about this. If you lose a job, a lot of times in major markets, if you want to work in big firms there, it's not every firm and major markets. It's not, it's certain firms and but the majority of big ones, it can hurt, you know, when you see the best lawyers and it's always, I've always noticed that attorneys in a lot of these big markets from big firms interview exceptionally well. Like, they walk into interviews and could be Los Angeles, it could be New York, it could be San Francisco, but a lot of them just very good interviewers. Like they're amazing. And I've seen people in big firms in New York that just are able to go into interviews in any city in the country and just kill it and get every job that they apply to because they learn how important this lack of vulnerability and how to portray themselves in a strong way. And so you need to package your resume and look at it in a way that doesn't show weakness and vulnerability. And there's a lot of ways to do that. I do lots of, I do resume workshops and it's coming up time to do one. I do lots of different things to prepare attorneys to not show weakness and vulnerability. And so that, but on your resume, you know, you, there's a lot of ways that you can show vulnerability. And it's things like, I don't know, too many jobs is one, but then not having a focus of a practice area, bouncing around, not having a focus on the practice setting you're working on, meaning, I mean, going to clerk after five years of legal practice, or you get the idea, but are going and doing a job in another practice setting is a big one. But th these are things that, from a law firm's perspective, show weakness and vulnerability, because what that means is you may not be committed to the law firm. They're working in a law firm and um, fortunately, they're going to hire people that are. And if you look vulnerable, that's something that the law firm is going to zero in and uh, use as a reason for not hiring that attorney. One time I was, and this is important to look at 
your resume and what you're portraying as well. I was in a, I don't know, a class and it was, I think my freshman year of college. And I was always very interested in writing and my grades. And, and I had this professor and I kept going back because he was giving me like B pluses and I wanted to go to law school and get the best grades I could. I, I kept going back and meeting with him and he would make suggestions. And then eventually he said, the difference between a B plus paper and an A or A minus paper is you can look at it and you won't find anything wrong. You can, the arguments are good. Everything is formatted and done properly. And, and because of that, you get an A. And that's true. It's like that with resumes, that they can look at it and find all sorts of objections to why they should hire you. Then are things wrong with your resume that show vulnerability, which that's not good. Just like a paper or an exam that has a bunch of red on it is showing the vulnerability. It's showing a lack of understanding things. It's showing maybe bad grammar. It's showing lack of proofreading things, all those sorts of things. It's showing not thinking through arguments. And so that's what an attorney needs to do with a resume. It's very important. And you can get away in a lot of times with doing this in the less prestigious law firms and that you know, have clients that don't pay as much money. And, uh, and therefore, the habits of the attorney aren't as aggressive because they can't look at things in the same depth. And, but to work in the largest and most prestigious firms, you need to be very good at this. And any sort of vulnerability is met harshly. And it's very difficult. This infallibility, as I said earlier, applies to you. It applies to your clients. And this vulnerability is very important. And like I said earlier, it just boils down to the attorney's role as an advocate. And they're expected to take a side and not minimize their clients' weaknesses and do everything they can to make that happen. If you watch police shows or courtroom shows, you can always see how the attorneys on each side will try to turn the other attorney's arguments into weaknesses, will not put in a client that's accused of something on the stand because that will show weakness and vulnerability. There's a, there's a whole group of ideas that surround the way an attorney thinks. And, and that is very important. And if you show too much weakness on behalf of your clients, you're a bad attorney because people will rule against you or you'll get, you'll get into a lot of trouble. So I was clerking for a fellow judge and, and we used to have a lot of bank robbery cases. And it was very funny. Like you could, like a bank robber case, you would have, and there were a lot of them for whatever reason in this court, but the robber, of course, was most often caught on film robbing a bank. If they wore a mask, you'd often see their car with a license plate. They find that, they get that from the parking lot or from them driving by 7-Elevens or whatever, or gas stations. And so they'd always, and then a lot of times they would get captured within a few minutes of the robbery, which happened quite often. Then they would plead not guilty and go to trial. But what I always noticed, and I've never always stick with me, is their public defenders took their role as, as advocates for their clients extremely seriously. And they would do everything they can or could to get the person off. And they would make every conceivable argument and never address things like their faces on camera robbing the bank. And that's their job. The job of an attorney is to aggressively take the side of someone and try not to let any weakness come through. And because it's so important and crucial for their profession, it's only natural that an attorney is expected to be able to do them themselves. And your interview uh, is basically a tryout of do you understand this aspect of the legal profession? It's also probably why first-year attorneys pick it up in their courses and in their interaction with other people. 
And and the longer and more important the case of an attorney is, the more the attorney has to practice and package and portray their client to the clients in this way. And they also need to do with opposing counsel, colleagues, judges, jurors, and anyone else they encounter in their career. In addition to that, it's with transactions, it's with everything. And so if you want to get a position, you really need to portray yourself to potential employers and everyone else as not having any vulnerability or as least as much as possible. So now we're to the meat of this and which won't be as much information, but this infallibility requirement really leads to attorneys having a lot of issues with depression and other things. And, and, and when you start covering up who you are, when you have to portray a different face and of yourself and walk on pins and needles, it's important that you stop being authentic. And I believe this is one reason you see so many unhappy lawyers, many times unhappy law students. What kind of, when lawyers go to law school, there's all these studies that show they suddenly become, a lot of them, or majority of them, depressed and anxious and all these things. And I think it's because of this. If you can't be authentic, then what you're doing is you're closing yourself off to meaningful, true connections with others. And this is a major cause of attorney depression. It's just, it's what it is. It causes depression. And people are social. And deep in our DNA, there's a need to connect and feel connected with others. And people most often define their lives by the quality of their connections. It's the most important thing. Your connection with your parents, your spouses, your children, your friends, and significant others. And you know, I have two teenage daughters, and one of them is having some issues at the moment. And I talked yesterday, and she's having some kind of things, issues that are psychological, I guess you would say, or I don't know, but, um, but they're fairly serious. And so I was talking to someone yesterday that has a lot of experience driving around very wealthy people that have had, it's not my driver, that have had very serious psychological or other similar problems with their children. And, and this is just one of my children, but it's very scary. And his statement is that's generally because the parents, and from what he's seen over 20 years of doing this type of job, is that the people that have these problems and the children that do most often lack a really solid connection with their parents, send them to good schools and psychologists and everything to fix it, when in reality, these problems may be caused by a lack of connection with their parents. And I thought back on that. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. People I knew when I was growing up that were having those kind of problems, and a lot of them had parents that were lawyers and never home, doctors and were never home, business people that were never home, like CEOs and leaders of companies. And 
That's true. Children, just like people, they're lawyers that are grown up. When you have a lack of connection, all these problems develop. And when you, all these divorces with the successful attorneys, there's no connection. That's the connection that may have existed before goes away. And in most people's lives really do revolve around their ability to connect with others at work, uh, socially, and elsewhere. And a lack of this makes you unhappy. It's just, how could it not? When you study human history, up until recent history, there were no cities, there were no, far, I mean, there were no farms, there were no, and people lived in small groups of people. I don't know what the number is. I read it sometime before, but it was 50 people or 100 people or 30 people. I don't know what the number was, but these were the average size societies and, and people from that group went out and hunted and picked berries or whatever and food and, and other people stayed at home and worked with raised children. And, but this is how most of human history is. And what's scary is the worst possible punishment that someone could receive in these societies was to be excluded from a group. So the groups would kick them out. And if the group kicked them out, they couldn't, they couldn't survive. And so they would often die if they couldn't even find a new group. And so this is deep, very deep within our DNA, like this need for connection with others. And you only connect to people when you're vulnerable. And so this is a one a major reason that people are depressed and why they're anxious, because that fundamental contact that's in your DNA that's existed for as long as there's been humans, only up until recent history, when we started farming and, uh, and that allowed cities to develop and all this stuff. But up until recent history, we were just tribes and, and that sort of thing. And that's what it was. So this is very important to people. It's very important just for us psychologically. And it's what our brains developed to need over hundreds of thousands of years. The lack of connection drives drives people crazy. It, when kids shoot up schools, most often I talk to someone that was a, I don't know, like a, some kind of specialized psychiatrist that speaks about this. He's a children's psychologist or psychiatrist. And he told me that when kids shoot up schools, it's usually because they feel excluded. They feel excluded because they are, they're treated like outcasts because of how they dress, because of how they behave. I don't know. Because they're, and so they, the only way that they just want to go in and kill everybody because Anybody that made them feel excluded, they do. And we're having a, an epidemic of people going in and shooting up schools. It's happening all the time. Adults, it's insane. Other times, people will go and shoot up their former employer. They'll go into post offices and businesses. And we hear about that all the time. Why is that? It's because it's disconnection. You need connection in order to be happy. My daughter that started having all these issues was went into seventh grade and all of a sudden, the social life was different there, and, and that wasn't good. And then she felt excluded. So people have problems, and they're excluded. Think about people that commit suicide. What is that other than often not having a connection with others or, or feeling that you're supported? That, or feeling that you've done something wrong, and that's going to destroy your connections and everything you relied upon. Whether Jeffrey Epstein, what happened with him, maybe he felt that he no longer what he relied on so much was these connections, to all these powerful people, that's gone. What's the option? Kill yourself. Again, this is a very big deal. Substance abuse. A lot of people use substances to connect with others. I remember I haven't drank in a long time. I quit a long time ago. But one of the things I used to enjoy about drinking is 
all of a sudden you have a couple of drinks and your guards down and everyone's having fun and share and uh, and that's a lot of times that lack of connection or for some people you get a spiritual connection when you use psychedelics or certain types of drugs or alcohol and that becomes a connection things like pain for sex why would someone do that if they had a felt a strong enough connection with their significant other and religion religion used to be a big deal all over the country everyone most people had religions and they got connection from this and the religion of course as society has become larger and larger people's connection with religion has gone down and people are un- more unhappy people with families often have connection people without families may lack that connection volunteering and helping is often considered one of the best possible things that someone can do because it gives them that connection if you volunteer you're suddenly in a role where you're connecting with other people and people that do that I've read are much happier but people often will and this is something that lawyers are guilty of will often accumulate degrees and money and cars and other things because they believe that maybe that will give them a connection to people they want to be with or that will make them feel better because they're lacking that connection so this is and maybe they get a connection when they go in to buy a car i don't know homes cars degrees all these are forms for some people of connection i've seen people go to school and get five or six degrees maybe they enjoy being around people in school i don't know but it becomes a point where it's no longer necessary and typically they talk about and you can read studies on this that people who are social and have lots of connections typically live the longest and they've studied there's an area of i don't know what it is but there's a city in california where everybody is a jehovah's witness and does stuff together all week that's one of the places that's considered a blue zone where people live the longest there's also a a, a nursing or a, a retirement home or community somewhere in california where everyone gets together every night and drinks wine and has a dinner and they socialize and have all these events and that particular nursing home or well, I don't even know, retirement community and the people there live longer than anywhere else in the United States as well so a lot of times when you find play people that live a long time they're in environments where there's a lot of connection people that are married and have relationships live longer this is really important stuff and something that people should think about and people that are depressed of course it's not always caused by a lack of connection you certainly can be very connected to others but this depression often means a lack of connection with others and that's a big deal so connection is unbelievably important and you connect by having vulnerability and seeing vulnerability in others and it can create the good in the world and it can also create the bad and imagine you're in a profession where this vulnerability is very difficult to have and more of the things we do are for connection and yet when we do these things we're often unable uh, to get the connection we're seeing seeking so buying cars degrees becoming important all these things don't necessarily give you connection and that's a problem and attorneys are human they want connection with others but at the same time the role of an attorney and what's promoted in law school and being an attorney is not to show weakness that's a very that how can you connect with others when you're not allowed to show weakness and how can that not if you spend the majority of your time working not carry over into your personal life and so this mentality actually impairs your ability to be authentic and to have authentic relationships and you're afraid 
to show this weakness and it makes you unhappy. Most good attorneys often don't let their guards down, even with their close friends. And, and they're good at not admitting they're wrong. It's, they have to dig their heels in and be right with every single thing uh, that they're doing. And you watch this with attorneys and the second you bring up a weakness, or the second you look like you're attacking them or undermining them, they go and they respond telling you're wrong or attacking you about some point. And this is just how it is. And a lot of attorneys, not all of them, of course, are afraid of doing anything that would make them look weak. And when I told you earlier that a firm I was at, everybody was divorced, or almost all of them, that was an extremely good firm. These were people that were from top firms and yeah, had worked in top firms, that had gone to the best law schools, that had done the best and best law schools. And that personality characteristic makes people have problems. And just coming back to that particular firm, I think it's different now, but back then there were people that eventually had very serious personality problems and other things and and had problems. And I think it's caused by being a good attorney. It's not caused by the firm. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. So as your nature, you need to be someone who's not vulnerable. This is why attorneys are always trying to be perfect, to, to only find, uh, to try to be imperfect, excuse me, is what makes them unhappy. And so attorneys suppress their true emotions and selves oftentimes much more than people in other professions. And the problem with uh, suppressing your true self is that your connection with others is often based on someone other than who you really are, and you feel worthy of belonging and being loved only if you're not someone you like or you're not. The whole thing of attorneys, they try to make the best salaries. They try to the highest salaries. They want to be in the best firms. They want to, they need to do things that are going to get the approval of people that are in charge of advancing them, whether it's an associate trying to be a partner or it's a partner trying to get clients or a partner trying to get the approval of other partners. All this is important. And so think about it. There's no other reason why all this happens and why attorneys have such high uh, rates of substance abuse and divorce and depression. How could you not? Because it requires you to be a person you're not, and then also really has no tolerance for vulnerability. So you just end up being another unhappy lawyer. So this is how you stop it. Everyone is imperfect, and you need to realize that. And attorneys are vulnerable. And so one of the best things you can do is allow yourself to really be imperfect and vulnerable outside of work, meaning you need to be human. You need to get that connection. You need to find it. And you need to find it often with people that aren't attorneys, or if they are attorneys, aren't probably very good attorneys because they don't have to be that way with their peers and they can get away from that. So often, and you need to be in a position where you're running away from your nature. Now, what are things you can do? You can you can make a religion or volunteering or good home life. And all this stuff can be very important. A lot of religions is very interesting. Like they, if you're a Muslim or I think you take Saturday off or you're a Christian, it's, you're supposed to take Sunday. If you're a Mormon, I think you take Sunday and then you, 
you also have family night on Monday nights. Think about that. That's a big thing. Like we are supposed to spend time with your family. Uh, so all these things are actually built into religions. It's very interesting, which is one reason I think a lot of them survive. They also, there's other religions that are based on things like taking ayahuasca or whatever, and they have rituals too. It's every that fourth connection. And, and so that sort of connection is really important to build into your life. And you need to figure out like what you can do to get that connection. Because if you don't, you're going to be unhappy. You're trying to be someone you're not. You think you should. You're, you emulate people that are above you that have the characteristics that most often are a lot of lack of connection. And um, you start closing off your understanding of others. And you often cannot understand others because uh, you're not being your own person. And when you understand others, when you can't understand others, you stop connecting with them. And when you lose that connection, you lose your ability to connect and relate to others. And this is why attorneys are depressed and something that you can say the industry looks out for. But honestly, it, a lot of it is going to be, always be part of the depression, the legal industry. When you look at what's happening and what's happened over the past several years, attorneys are now working at home more frequently. Attorneys are more interested in work-life balance, which means what it is. It means having a balance to your life where you can connect with others. Very smart. Think about that. So everything that's happening is really about that connection. Not going to the office is about not having that vulnerability over your head when people are walking by your office and stopping by all day. It allows you, in many cases, to be happier. Although most attorneys may not realize this, the importance of being vulnerable, the, literally the entire legal system and large law firms in particular, because they're the best, in terms of the most selective to weed out people that don't have that, make attorneys very adverse to being vulnerable. And uh, instead of connecting with others and being their own people, unhappy lawyers will often use all of their resources and efforts to create defenses and to be people they're not in intending, do not intend to be, and what the, their genetic makeup makes them want to be. And so I think this is really what causes the majority of unhappiness that attorneys find in their careers. It's just the that everything comes down to being vulnerable. And, and the less vulnerable you are, the best, better off you are. And that psychology that you get at work in the legal profession doesn't necessarily translate into being happy at home. It's interesting, like a lot of people, when you read about presidents and people that are very successful, I, I remember when Obama came into office, he said that he was never going to, if he was home, not have dinner with his family. And, and other attorneys, like presidents play golf all the time with people. There's, they're always trying to get that connection. And I think that connection creates a network and that network can help you be happy. And without a connection, people are lost because this connection is really one of the most essential elements of being alive. That's the webinar. I'm going to take questions. I'll take a quick break, but I'll, I'm happy to answer questions about this or any other questions you have about your career. So this question, this is a good question. So I'll start the last ones. But any questions you have, by the way, I'm happy to answer. So do you think remote work makes mental health of a lawyer better or worse? It seems you mentioned both. Does it allow lawyers to feel better, more less vulnerable by working home? It doesn't allow with the same sort of human action and connection. Yeah, I think it depends on what type of connection you have. So if you have people that are with you at home, then, I mean, that allows connection. If you feel when you go to work, you feel connected to people there, then you definitely should be in the office. I personally, when I'm not out of the office and I'm not around groups of people for an extended period of time, 
I do start really feeling bad and uh, anxious and things. So I, I think to maybe a mix is good. And it depends on the person. Some people feel that they can practice law forever if they're working at home and others, meaning without the stress of being in the office and others don't want that. I talked last week about the importance of people working at, in, in an office when they're working because of the ability to have a better chance of advancement, if that's an option. And I do think that that's true, but it's something for you to balance. Obviously, if you're a lot happier at home, and you're able to go out after work more easily, take breaks during the day and exercise or talk to friends and things for an extended period of time, maybe that's better. So I think that's a good question. Do you recommend any innovative or inconvenient, unconventional approaches to address anxiety? Yes, I do. So I think one of the things I've been reading about lately, and I haven't, unfortunately, I don't know, unfortunately, but I certainly haven't taken part of it. But I think there's a couple of different things. One thing that a lot of people do is they do journaling. That journaling, this allows people to connect with others, to understand the causes of the issues they are facing. And I think that can help. What people, what I've learned to do, I've learned about, write about things that make me angry, what I'm sad about. Then you start off at the top and then you move into what I'm excited about and make lists. You make lists of these things. And then when you make these lists, you've been saying, I'm angry about someone saying, oh, I don't know, getting a bad review, whatever it is. And you keep these lists and that can be a really good thing. And then you write down why you're sad, why you're excited, um, and then what you're happy about or things like that. And then as you do that work, you, you start realizing more and more what is driving your anger. Then you go back and you you look at what you've done before from time to time and you keep these lists. So the more issues you have, the better. And then where where I feel connection might be one, feel connected to others, or then where I feel unconnected might be another one. You know, so you could write these things. So it's just these kind of subject headings to do that. And then you write that. When I was it was funny, when I got out of law school, I saw a book in a bookstore and it was called like the confidence course. I think it was from it was just a book. And at that time, I was like, oh, I need to get more self-confidence. This is important. So I read the book and the book was written by a professor. I doubt he's so long ago. He's probably not even alive, but at Columbia College and in New York. And there's also Columbia College, I think, in Chicago. So it's Columbia University. And essentially what the confidence course was about, it's interesting, it was you're just supposed to write down every day what you are mad or angry or sad about and just get all those out in the open and then come back the next day and, and do the same thing. And then go back every week and look at the stuff that you were mad or angry about and look at some of the past and then realize that none of that stuff is really a big deal. And, and then eliminating that consciousness and having a different way of looking at things is something that is really important for people. And I think that also something that can work. So that's one thing, journaling. I think that's probably the least controversial thing. I talked about religion. I talked about um, other sorts of stuff. I'm not going to recommend it because I don't want to get in trouble. But if you read the literature, there's a lot of people that believe psychedelics or whether it's, I don't know what there are, there's mushrooms and others. I don't know what they are, but there's a lot of those ayahuasca, there's mushrooms, there's all sorts of stuff. I read something recently about someone that I think it's a 
like a professor at Stanford, or I don't know what department or anything, but they were having all this depression and they'd taken all these antidepressants and nothing worked. And they tried all these things like ketamine, I don't know. But, and then they started microdosing, I think, LSD and it cured them. And, and so I'm not recommending you this for anxiety and things, but I do recommend getting a perspective, however you need to do on things that can help you be happier and connected with something, whether it's you need to do a substance to do it, whether it's a religion, whether it's whatever you do, or uh, joining things as simple as like a book study group. That's a form of connection or, a, or going to bar association events. I don't know, where you're meeting people from different firms. There's just lots of things you can do. And I'm not going to recommend everyone do psychedelics. I'm just telling you, uh, and these aren't recommendations. That's something that people have done that works for a lot of people. I'm sure it doesn't work for a lot of others. But these are all things that can help you where that may be missing in your life. So I think that those are good things. And then another unconventional approach is to go into a different practice setting with people that you like uh, to start your own firm and try to set that up in a way that meets your interest to find a place where there is true work-life balance, which is difficult. But all those things, I believe, can help you and make you much happier in the long run. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.